The rest of you, if you want, can turn to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. We'll be obviously hitting various uh, portions of Scripture this morning. Um, uh, I've been, for those of you who are visiting this morning, I've been gone for a, a few weeks on vacation. And uh, Pastor Luke and Pastor Jeff filled in for me. I was here last Sunday, although I was helping my wife in the nursery, so I didn't get to hear the sermon. But I listened to it sat Sunday afternoon, and man, that was a great sermon. You know what I mean? I love that sermon. Hopefully you guys were blessed as well if you were here. I enjoyed it a lot. So it takes a lot of pressure off me if I know you guys are getting fed like this. I'll take more days off, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I heard a lot of good things about Pastor Luke's sermons as well. Um, we've been going through Proverbs. I'm encouraging you to go through Proverbs with us this summer. As we think about uh, just how to live wisely in a world like today. And uh, Proverbs is a great resource to go back to, to consider what God says and how we should live. And last week, Pastor Jeff was talking about diligence and everything that goes into diligence, being diligent in all areas of life. Again, it was a great sermon. I encourage you, if you didn't listen to it, to go back and listen to that. But the question then comes a little bit, like, okay, how do I be diligent? When I'm supposed to both be diligent at rest and diligent at work, how do, how do I put those two together sometimes, right? How do, I, how do I make that happen? And integrity is where you bring the two of those together. And that's why integrity is so fundamental to pursuing wisdom. And the path of wisdom is pursuing that path for integrity. Uh, Proverbs 11 verse 3, which is a great kind of summary of both what integrity looks like as well as the challenges to integrity, says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. So you have two different people here in Proverbs 11, verse 3. You have the, the upright and the treacherous. We understand upright, right? Upright basically means that you, you keep your promises, you keep your word to other people. You, you do what you say. The, the idea of treacherous is the opposite, right? That you, you say one thing and do another. You're willing to betray your word, you betray others, to do what, what it takes. And it says here that the integrity of the upright guides them and the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Because, let's be honest, right? Nobody really sets out and says, you know what? I'm going to be treacherous in my life, right? I'm going to be the treacherous one. I'm going to be the Judas. I'm going to be the one that betrays those that are most important to me. No one does that. So how do you end up there in a sense? How do you end up there in, a, in the sense of betraying those who you love? And these words here for definitions, so again, integrity is the idea of not just, if upright is outward keeping your word, integrity is inward keeping your word. You're keeping your word to yourself, so to speak. You're, you're being whole in how you think about your life and how you think about who you are and what you've committed to. And versus crookedness, which is a great metaphor in a sense, it's the idea that you kind of zigzag through life. Why? Because you just bounce from one vision of, of joy and happiness to another. Like, oh, this would be, this would be good for me. Oh, no, 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 that's not going to work out. I'll go this way. And you just zigzag through life, trying to find the next high, the next source of joy, the next source of, of pleasure or whatever else you're looking for in life. And there's several stories about treachery in the Bible one of the most uh, powerful ones is in Judges. In Judges chapter 9, 8 and 9, Gideon delivers Israel from the Midianites. You remember the story, right? Yeah. 
He has to, you know, find the 300 men, and then the 300 men select, surround the, the camp of the Midianites at night, and they, you know, break out their, their lanterns, and for the sword of the Lord of Gideon, and the Midianites destroy themselves, and, and Gideon and the Lord, obviously, saves the day. But then goes on, the story goes on, Gideon, in a sense, becomes the judge of Israel, and he, uh, and he has, uh, falls into the trap of Solomon. He has many wives, and he has many sons. He has 70 sons. And uh, so when he dies, the 70 sons are supposed to kind of rule. They're supposed to kind of take over for Gideon. But there was one kind of son of a concubine who wasn't really in favor, right? And he goes to the, the town, townsman of Shechem and is like, hey, you know, you could either have 70 people rule you or you could have one person rule you, which is more, which is more simple, you know. And the men of Shechem set up uh, the, him to, to, to kill off his brothers and he comes ruling, except one brother survives. His name is Jotham. And Judges verse, chapter 9, nine verse 7, he's, he's, he he comes out and he stands on the top of the mountain and he, and he yells down to the townsmen, right? He says, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? Like, you know what? I've got a good role. I'm happy where I'm at, you know? And the, the tree said to the fig tree, come, you reign over us. And the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, You come, reign over us. And the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come, reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let your, your fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, the story goes on to show that, they, obviously, the men of Shechem weren't in good faith putting, I think it's Abimelech, to be king over them. But, so, it, what happens is, is that the, the, the men of Shechem are burned up, and Abimelech is killed with a stone on his head. All parties die, in that sense. But, but what's interesting here in this idea of good faith is, and, and being treacherous, is what he's saying here about the bramble, it's interesting, because he's saying, come and take refuge in my shade. Has any, anyone ever tried to find shade under a bramble? <laughs> you, know, you know, we have weeds out there, right? You know, they're getting taller, it's the middle of summer, right? And we actually avoid brambles, right, because they have all the stickers to them, right? No one goes and finds shade under a bramble, right? Because there's no shade there. And what, what he's kind of making the, the picture here is of, you're going to have to lower the trees that are around, the oak, you know, the elm, all those trees that are grand and, and provide plenty of shade. They're going to have to, to change who they are and lower themselves down to be ruled by a bramble. But the men of Shechem are like that. They're saying to the bramble, yeah, come reign over us. Why? Why? Because they, they have some ulterior motive. They want to, in a sense, control and manipulate Abimelech to get what they want. They're not in good faith saying, yeah, tell us what to do. We want you to rule. They're saying, yeah, rule over us so we can control you. You know, you're, you're a hometown boy. You know us. We know you. We'll all scratch each other's backs and we'll get what we want out of this deal. And 
And it shows this example of we sometimes in our that, that crookedness of the treacherous can be a temptation to us. Why? Because we think to ourselves, I can manipulate this situation to get what I want out of somebody and not treat them with respect, treat them with understanding, treat them with uh, uh, a, a sense of holiness, right? And instead, I can manipulate myself through the situation. And that's the, the crookedness of the treacherous. They're always pursuing the next high, the next way to get ahead, the next thing that's going to, you know, bright and shiny in front of them. Again, Proverbs 11, verse 3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, and the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. And what we're talking about here, in a sense, with the idea of let's not be this way, is being the same inside and out. We, we recognize it in the sense that there's a war of desires within us. We have desires, and they are competing. We compete, like, Work and rest. Like, I, I want to work. You know, someone asked me after I came back from my vacation, like, uh, so do, do you want to just stay on vacation for the rest of your life? You know, like be retired, you know? And, and right, there's this, this war of desires between us sometimes, right? Like, yeah, hey, being retired might be nice, you know, being perpetually on vacation. No, I wasn't, we'll talk about that. I wasn't really on vac vacation the whole time, at least not what you think about vacation. But, but it'd be nice. But also, we, we like to work, right? We like to make money. We like to, to feel like we're accomplishing something. Both of those are good desires. How, how do you have integrity when you have competing desires? Things that are, in some ways, opposed to one another, but they're a part of having a good, fulfilling, joyful, happy life. How do you, how do you put those together? Well, first of all, it's just acknowledging that you are you have these competing desires. Ecclesiastes verse uh, 7, verse 29, gives this great illustration of what integrity and uprightness looks like. It says, See, this alone I found, again, this is the preacher in Ecclesiastes, that man, God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Right? We like the idea of keeping our word we like the idea of doing what we say, being consistent inside and out. But as we go through life, we're definitely tempted at times to coming up with some schemes, right? Like, I can figure out how to get ahead here. I can figure out how to game the system. I can win easier than those around me. And so, as, how do we then go about this? Well, we have to realize in some ways that life is a marathon and not a sprint, which is, again, this is a common metaphor for life, right? A marathon and not a sprint. How, we don't want to get caught up in the fact that, hey, yeah, I'm going to start out trying to be upright and then end up being treacherous. So how do I stay on the path? Well, I did, some, some of you know, I, I told um, the church this spring that, that Amy and I were training for a half marathon up in Duluth. So during my vacation, I, I actually ran a half marathon, okay? Not something you typically do on your vacation, at least not on any other vacation I've ever been on. Because I've never run a half marathon before, let's be clear here. <laughs> and uh, 
and, and so the day of the, right, the race comes. It's uh, June um, 16th or 17th, whatever that Saturday was. The race started at 6 in the morning, which makes sense, right? You don't want to be out there too hot, except it's Duluth, so it's never really that hot to begin with. Um, and uh, you have to get up at 4 in the morning, take, go, go to the, like, we went to the mall, got on a bus, rode for half an hour to where the start of our race was, and then you ran into town, okay? So you land, the, the, the half marathon was basically running along Lake Superior into Duluth. That's not a bad run. You know I mean, if you're talking about Phoenix, it's not bad. And uh, so, so we started out, we got there, and uh, I was worried about just finishing on time. You know, I mean, that's, that was my goal. Like, don't let the bus catch you, right? Because the marathon, marathon runners are coming behind, and basically, if you didn't finish on time, the bus is going to pick you up and be like, get out of the way of the marathon runners. And I was like, I don't want that to happen to me. So that's my goal, right? You understand, this is, a, this is my baseline goal, okay? So I, I find my group, it's like way in the back of the pack. I, and, and all the, the other members of my family, they go up closer to the front, okay? And, uh, and so I find my group, and we start off, and the, the, the race starts finally. We start running. And uh, I'm having a great time, actually, because I'm finally running with people that are running at my pace, you know? I'm not watching my wife run away from me farther and further and further ahead. And, uh, and uh, we're kind of running along. I'm like, I'm trying to pace myself, obviously, do what I can. And, uh, you know, when you're running at that pace, you've got time to have conversations. At least the people around me had time to have a conversation. They could breathe okay. And so I'm just kind of follow along. And then there's this group of three people. There's two girls and a guy. They're just talking to each other and running. And I'm like, okay, man, they can do it. I'll just kind of stay around them. Well, one of the girls dropped off. She started hurting or something. So she dropped off, and I'm right, running next to them. And the, the girl, the girl, uh, the other girl in that pair, um, she, she turns to me and she's like, hey, why are you here? You know what I mean? Well, my wife's way up there, and uh, I'm trying to catch her. It's a long way to go. And, uh, and so I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm from Iowa, came up for the race. It's, you know, yeah, this is my first half marathon. And she's like, oh, that's great. You know, she's like, I've done, you know, they, I'd heard they'd been talking, and she, her whole family runs, and and her, you know, they were all, so, so we we're just talking, and, and um, she's like, well, how many kids do you have? And I was like, well, I have seven kids, and, and we talked about that for a little bit, and so I thought, well, okay, you ask me, I'll ask you, like, how many kids do you have? And she's like, well, I don't have any yet. Uh, I just found out I'm pregnant. I haven't told anybody yet, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm pregnant. I'm like, that's awesome, that's great, you know, things you find out on a half marathon, right? You're just like, <laughs> run along with people. Good announcements, birth announcements, who knows. But uh, she's like, don't, fi don't find my dad at the end of the race and tell him, because I haven't told him yet, you know. <laughs> okay, okay, we won't tell him. Not that we could ever find her, her dad anyway. And uh, so uh, eventually I'm, I'm running alone, uh, just running. And uh, I, had, I had to walk a few times. You know, there's, there's stations for water and stuff, and I walked a few times here and there. But overall, I'm doing fine. I get to the, get, I've got three quarters of a mile left, and I cramp up. Like, seriously, like I cramp up, and I'm like, oh, man, oh, am I even going to be able to make it? You know, i got three quarters of a mile to go. So I started walking for a little bit and kind of walked out the cramp, and then I finished running. So I, I finished. I, I said, I said I finished, and I finished running. So, yeah, in, in two and a half hours, okay, two and a half hours, my wife finished in an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> she was 45 minutes ahead of me, okay? So that's, that's why I, I never catch up with her. 
Uh, she, was, she was in the top 20 for her age group. I was, you know, not even in the top 100 for mine. And, and so, uh, so, so what did I learn from that? One of the things I learned about, um, about it is that it was a lot of fun, actually. I was surprised at how fun it was, okay? Just running along with people. You're like, you're running. You're running a half marathon. How can it, you know, no, it was, it was a blast, you know, people are cheering you on. You're running with people. You're talking. You're finding about people having kids. You know, you're doing all of these things as you're running along. It's fun. And frankly, if you don't like running, that's fine. You know, no big deal. You run because you're having fun. And part of life is about pursuing joy, right? It's about finding what's joyful. And if you're going to have integrity in life, you need to know what gives you happiness. You need to find the joy in life and pursue it. There's the problem with crookedness and integrity is not the pursuit of joy. It's where, where do you think you're going to find it at? Another thing I, I, I realized, at the end of the race, my, my wife said, yeah, I started about 6.12. Like, it started at 6. She didn't start the, start the, cross the starting line until 6.12. I was like, well, I, I crossed the starting line about 6.08. I was like, that means you passed me. She's like, yeah, we were standing in line for the, for the bathrooms, and everybody was standing there. There's all these, you know, porta-potties put up so you could go to the bathroom early in the morning right before the race. And there's, people were in line. And all this. So she, she was in line. I passed her, and then, and then started running, and then she passed me. I, I didn't even see her. In fact, several of my family passed me in the race, and I didn't even notice it, right? Because there was so, I guess I was just running, you know. There's, no, there's just a ton of people running, and so it's going to be hard to find anybody. It was a packed two-lane road with a lot of people in the first few miles. And, and part of that is just points out the fact that as you run the race, you're always running your race. It's not like the, 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 the clock started at 6 in the morning, and I started 8 minutes late, and then I'm trying to make up time. No, you're always running your race, and that's the same way with God, right? God is not comparing you to someone else. He's not saying, well, hey, this person's got this, this, this done already in their life, and they're conquered that in their life already, and this sin is conquered in their life, and why aren't you like them? He's not doing that. He's letting you run your race. He's got a plan for who you are. And integrity is understanding that. It's understanding that I am running my race. I'm not comparing myself to someone else. I'm not trying to be someone else. I'm trying to be who God made me to be with the gifts and abilities and resources and opportunities that God gave to me, and I need to run that kind of race. The other thing that I learned about life through and, and integrity through a marathon is that life is hard. Because... The marathon was hard. I'm, I, it was fun, but it was hard. Okay, I'm not trying to admit it. No, like, like, my two sons who ran with me, uh, they barely trained, you know. But they're like 18 and 16 or 19 and 16, whatever you are at now. I can't remember what their ages are. What? And, and they barely trained, and they, you know, they, they did fine, you know. But when you're almost 50, you better train because life is hard. And, and... Here, as we look at avoiding crookedness, part of the point here is that life is hard, but you can make it harder than it needs to be by being crooked. Notice some of these, these proverbs that talk about crookedness and why we need to avoid it in order to pursue integrity in life. 
Proverbs 11:6 6 says, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lusts. You, that is, their desires take control of them and, and take them captive, and they think they're going to be okay, but it's by, by manipulating the situation, by, by saying one thing or promising one thing to one group and promising another thing to another group, but they're just getting taken captive by their desires. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Again, th- those people who keep their, their word bless not only themselves and not only their family, they bless their whole community as they keep their word and do what they say. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in his speech and is a fool. Again, it's better to be ha- live in poverty than to be foolish with your words and what you promise to others. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. It's, it's better to be, have integrity than to have money. Which again, the world would say the opposite, right? It's better to have money than have integrity. Like just get, get what you want out of life, make sure you make enough money. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a level highway. Again, that the, the person who is upright actually makes it easier for themselves. Not that every situation is easy. No, life is hard. There are hard things you have to face, hard decisions you're going to have to make. But, but having integrity and keeping your word make, it, make that overall easier than if you decide, oh, I'm going to try to find the easy way out. The man of, of a crooked heart does not discover good and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. But, but the point of this verse is, but the man of a crooked heart thinks he will, right? Because he thinks he can find it by pursuing the various paths that he's going to get on. He thinks he can find it, but he's not going to discover it. Why? Because he doesn't, he doesn't realize that goodness doesn't come from manipulating situations. And this is a reference to God with, with the, uh, in Psalm 18, 26. With the pure, you show yourself pure, and with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. And this goes exactly to the point of the last verse, right? Like, God, God takes people that are crooked, and he just makes himself seem to them like, well, God, you just make life so much harder for me than it needs to be. And he's like, yeah, I am, because I want you to move away from trusting in yourself and trusting in your own desires, in your own pursuit of your desires, and move toward trusting in me. Back to Proverbs. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. And that's the point here this morning about avoiding being crooked. Look, there's a lot of thorns and snares. You make your life way harder than it needs to be. If you don't think through your desires and and say, okay, how do I balance these desires in a godly way, in a God-fearing way that respects who God is and who I am and and the commitments I need to make in my life? If I don't go through that process and find integrity, I will trip myself up. It will be no no one else's fault other than my own. And so what we see from these verses is a few things. First of all, we see that crookedness brings insecurity. It's, it's insecure. You're always unstable. 
you're always potentially moving from one, oh, I think, I think if I find a spouse, I'll be happy. No, I think if I have find the, the right career, I'll be happy. No, if I think I have, if I'm making X amount of money, I'll be happy. And you're constantly bouncing back and forth, trying to find the right way to find joy in your life. But that's insecure. Joy doesn't come from what you have. Joy comes because God gives it to you through his grace. You also bring a legacy of destruction. We know, we look at our culture and we see people breaking their word all the time. And what do we see as results? Families destroyed, children destroyed, businesses destroyed, communities destroyed. Why? Because people break their words they don't have integrity. Yes, and as the verse earlier said, we become captive to our desires. We think we are on the right path. We think we have what it takes to find good, but instead we're just trapped in what we think we need. Life becomes harder than it naturally is. Life is hard. It's not easy, but it becomes harder. And therefore, we become confused and misunderstanding about what's going on. You see, in, in Proverbs, there's two, several different types of people and how they relate to life. There's a simple person, that person who's kind of gullible. They're just going through life, and they think they can figure it out, and they, they don't really need to pursue wisdom. They're just kind of like, well, I'll just kind of take the information as it comes, and I, and I, and I won't work at it at all. And they believe that they can have integrity easily or that comes without having to think through hard decisions and, and balance competing desires. Yeah, I can have integrity, no problem. The fool thinks they can have integrity just by, because they think, well, I can choose my desires. I can, I can have integrity, but I'll get what I want at the same time. They think they can choose their desires and their consequences. The lazy person thinks they're smarter than anyone else at getting to integrity. They found the easy path to integrity when in fact they skipped the path entirely. The scoffer thinks mocking those who work at their desires and balancing them out with self-control is more profitable than looking carefully at their own. Ever met a scoffer? Like, oh, look at those people. They have, they're trying to practice self-control. What idiots! Well, are you really, do you have to you? have happiness in life? Or are you just willing to mock those who are trying to find true happiness? You see, crookedness leads to betraying your word to others. It's the parent who says, yeah, I'll be there, and then doesn't show up because work says something so important. And at the last minute, they change and break their word. It's the friend who says, yeah, I can keep something confidential for you. But then, in a spurt of desire, surrounded by other people that they want to be liked by, they spill secrets they're not supposed to share. Why? Because they want to be liked by someone else. And destroy people. It's the spouse who says, yeah, I'll be faithful. But then when things turn rocky, they look elsewhere for comfort, emotionally and physically. We don't start off trying to be treacherous. But we end up there when we don't have integrity. When we are crooked in our desires. So how do we do this? How do, how do we do this? And so point number two is, is we need to pursue the alignment of integrity. We need to pursue the alignment of integrity. Again, here's some verses that talk about this. 
He stores up sound wisdom for the for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. God provides security to those who pursue integrity. Again, Proverbs 10, 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The, Lord, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Sorry about the, there's something up there. Whoever walks in integrity uh, whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. Again, we're emphasizing that security comes through keeping your word and pursuing integrity. Proverbs 2 verse 21 says, For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Again, this is not, this doesn't show up immediately, right? The, the person who has integrity and the person who doesn't can both look successful initially, but the one who doesn't falls off a cliff. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, whether his conduct is pure and upright. This is what he's saying there is, this applies to all people. You don't have to get mature and have all responsibility for all these things. Even a child can be known by how they handle their word and their commitments. Here's another one that's interesting. The wicked is a ransom. The ransom for the righteous and the the traitor for the upright. It's saying that in life, people will value the upright and the righteous, and they'll use the wicked and the traitor as ransoms. A, a wicked man puts on a bold face. That's what it says there. Sorry, you can't see that. But the upright gives thought to his ways. Again, he's kind of saying there, a, a wicked man kind of says, I'm going to put on this facade of, I'm confident. I can accomplish this. I can do what I say. You can trust me, right? I'm going to make it happen. The righteous person is like, you know, let, let me think it through before I promise that. Let me make sure. And not, not the, the, the sureness of certainty, but it's, the, it's that sureness of, you know what, I, I've, I've, thought, I've thought it through at least to know that, <laughs> that I can hopefully keep my word. Habakkuk 2.4 makes this, he says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. It's talking about the proud person, obviously. But the righteous shall live by his faith. To, to pursue integrity and to pursue uprightness, you, you need to walk by faith. You have to have something greater that you're trusting in for your security. Because the crooked person thinks that their, wor- their, their manipulation of their word, their manipulation of their circumstances is their own security. But the righteous, the ones who have integrity, who live in God's world, because this is God's world, recognize they need to live by faith in God. So here's uh, Proverbs 4. I found in Proverbs kind of a, a good summary. It's Proverbs 4, 20 to 27, that gives us a good example, a good imagery of what integrity looks like. It says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. 
saying, here, you've got to watch what's going on in your heart. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and let your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your, way, your, your foot away from evil. Here you have kind of a fourfold way of thinking about integrity. It's that, and it's pursuing alignment and integrity. It's saying, my heart, my eyes, my mouth, my path, or my feet, they're all in alignment. You know what I mean? What I desire, what I think about, what my eyes are pursuing, what they're noticing, what my mouth is promising, and what the path I have set for my feet, that's in alignment. They're headed in the same direction. And, and if you think about your life and you think about how the words, the, the promises you're trying to make and the, and the path you're trying to set for your feet and, and the things you're, you're, you're paying attention to and desiring, saying, oh, I want this over here. And the thoughts you have, the desires of your heart, if they're not in alignment, something goes off, right? Something goes crooked. It, it's a lot related to security. We talk about security, but also we talk about insecurity, right? That is, we can be insecure, and insecurity comes a lot of times even from, from, from the circumstances of life, especially as young children. You know, somebody says, basically, I, I don't want you, sends that message to you, I don't want you, or you're not valuable, or you're not, you're not, you're not loved. I, 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 there's, there's something deficient in you, and you become insecure. You, you think, nobody can love me. Because the significant people in your life sent you that message when you were young. Nobody can love me. I'm not worth it. And, and that insecurity then bubbles up because your eyes are always searching for someone to love you. You're always searching. Even with a good relationship, you're always searching, well, do they really? <laughs> Do they really? I mean, uh, oh, they, their face got a little twisted, or they, they did this, or they did that. I, I'm insecure in, uh, in that person's love for me, and our eyes are focused not on remembering, you know what, that yes, I, I want them to love me, but I also have God loves me. Oh, I know that, and I know that other people love me. I don't, I don't need one person to be the sole focus for my joy in life, right? And our eyes pay attention to the whole picture and not just one thing. Narcissism is something that's also big in our, in our society where we, we, we get focused on ourselves and, and we're all guilty of it to, to an extent because our culture tells us you're the only person that really matters, right? But if you have integrity, you cannot live that way. You have to believe that others are just as important as yourself. But with narcissism, you, you, it's, it's this, this thing where either you have to be all right or all wrong. Like you're, you're either going to be like, hey, I'm going to defend myself and I'm always, I'm right and I'm going to preach it to the world that I'm right. Or you're going to preach to yourself that you're totally wrong. Like I'm, I'm a terrible person, I'm an idiot, I'm so full. And again, it's all self-focused, whether it's out there or in here. You're, you can see it in how your mouth lines up with that. Does your mouth tend to squash other people or yourself? Like, those guys are idiots. They don't agree with me. <laughs> they can't see it. You know, because narcissism thinks that you, everyone has to see things exactly the same way. You can't have some differences of opinion that are just like, okay, you see things differently than me. Right? 
we, yesterday, I got, a, I got a message early in the morning. Uh, Amy and I got certified as refs, and so I got a message early in the morning like, hey, Iowa Games is happening, and they're, they're desperately looking for refs. And so I was like, Amy, do you want to do a game and we can help out? So I, so I texted the guy who's looking for refs, and I said, hey, we can help out if you need it. And um, so, so he said, yeah, we could use, we could use some help uh, at a 345 time slot uh, where we need a game. They didn't have rest for a game. So I'm like, sure, Amy and I can take care of that game for you. And uh, we, so we um, actually it turned into, two, he, he messaged me back at like an hour later. and was like, well, can you do a 235, a 230 and a 345? I'm like, I guess. All right. And so, uh, so we show up for this game. And uh, the two teams were really good. They, they, were, they were both playing really well. They were two boys' teams. These are uh, 10 and 11-year-old kids, okay? 10 and 11-year-old kids. And uh, I, I'm trying to call the game uh, as best I can. And uh, there was one incident in particular where um, the, the blue team had worked the, their, the ball into the opponent's box. They're, he's setting up, and he's, he's been dribbling through a couple players, and he, he's got one more move, and then he can make his shot. And so he goes to make his move, and he, he's going to pull back on the ball, spin, and take the shot. But when he goes to pull back on the ball, he missed the ball. He'd been making great dribbles up to that point, but he just missed the ball on that particular point. And when he did it, what I saw was he got unbalanced because he missed the ball. He fell backwards because he missed the ball, fell into the, the opposing player, and then fell to the ground, and he laid there hurt. And that's what I saw. Now, the coach on the blue team did not see it that way. <laughs> that was in the box. It was late in the game. That could have tied up the game for them. It was, you know, he did not want to see it the way I saw it. You know, I was, I was within 20 feet of the play. He was more like 50 feet away, but he, he knew how that should have, play should have gone down. You know, after the game, he came up to me. He's like, this is, you know, you know he's listing off the reasons why I should have made a different call, you know. I was like, I didn't see it that way. I'm sorry. <laughs> I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could, I could have been wrong. But I had to call what I saw, you know. And, and, and narcissists cannot do that. They cannot live with that kind of, okay, you see some things and you're seeking to do what God wants you to do, and I'm seeing certain things and seeking to do what I, uh, God wants me to do. And they can't live in that. They either have to destroy one or destroy the other, right? They either have to destroy me as the ref, or they have to destroy the kid for not, for not making the play. But frankly, he made some great plays. It was not his fault. He just missed one dribble. And, and so often in life, think about your own integrity. Do you tend to squash yourself? Or squash others in how you talk about the situations of life? Is your mouth lined up with your heart and with your eyes and your feet? Because there's so many situations in life where they're running their own race. God wants them to do certain things. And he wants them to experience certain things. And you're running your race. And you've seen things, and you, God put burdens on your heart, and you're like, this is what I need to do. Have that integrity. Line up those things. 
Don't squash people just because they're different or they see different things and they act according to different needs. An example of this in integrity is just money, right? Money shows up and how we use money just shows our integrity all the time because your heart should know that you can't buy happiness, right? You, you should know that. I can't just use money to be happy. Your speech should line up with that and shouldn't be boastful about the toys you possess or always scheming about what you're going to do with the next pay raise that you're going to get if you're, when you're at work. You, you've probably run into those people, right? They're always like scheming, like, okay, when, when the boss gives me the raise next year, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy this boat or do this or do that. You, you know, line up your mouth with your heart. You know, you can't buy happiness. Your eyes need to look carefully based on a budget you set ahead of time for yourself, right? You're, you're, think, you're, you're lining yourself up saying, this is what I'm watching for with my money. This is what I'm seeking to do. You ponder your financial decisions because you're aware that the path of your feet might have ramifications. Like if I buy this camper or I do this thing, it's going to have these kind of costs to our family and our time and our, and our resources. And I'm going to think about the consequences to what I do. Why? Because you're aware that various financial decisions will bring some joy. But the joy of having money in the bank or the more money of, of, of having things because of the bot money you use to buy those things are subservient to the joy of ple pleasing God and loving others, right? You're saying, I'm, I'm not finding joy in just having a lot of money in the bank, nor am I finding joy in having a lot of things. I'm balancing both of those under how can I love God and love people well? How can I do that? What difficult decisions do I need to make ahead of time with my budget? What kind of ways do I need to, to tithe or to, to give to missionaries or do different things? Why? Because there's greater joys in life than just having a big bank account or having a bunch of stuff. These are the ways that we pursue integrity. We think through the difficult decisions ahead of time. And yes, you can have integrity and not be a Christian. You can line up your life so they all line up. Your heart, your eyes, your mouth, your feet. But Christian integrity depends and flows out of the grace of God. I'm going to skip. If you want to, if you want to understand pastoral integrity, read 2 Timothy 2, 20-26, but I'm going to skip it because of time. Follow grace into integrity. And just, just a few thoughts here at the end. Our Grace gives us unconditional acceptance and love from God, right? Ephesians chapter 1 is a great example. We are chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed. This is who we are in Christ. That grace allows us to move toward integrity. Because we don't have to be perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about lining up what we see and hear and love so that we can pursue the joy that God wants to give us. James 4 talks about the opposite, right? It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. But you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your desires. You adulterous people. You, could be, you treacherous people, right? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, 
God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace. You want to you have integrity? Notice the grace. Don't be so caught up in what you're doing and what, what you're going to accomplish and what you want out of life and how you're going to be happy with the decisions you make. Notice the grace of God. Notice the grace of God. You know what? I, I couldn't have run the, the, the race, the half marathon, frankly, without my wife kind of just challenging me. I would never have done it. You know, I, I told her afterwards, you know what? If I hadn't married you, I would never have run a half marathon. You know, you know, just, and that's both good and bad, right? No, I enjoyed it. It's like, that was fun. I'll do it again. But I could never have run the race if God hadn't given me, like, kept me relatively healthy, right? I mean, you're always worried at the end if you, after you train, like, am I going to get injured now? Like, I'm just going to have to throw it all, all that work down the drain, so to speak. But God gives grace. God gives health. God gives friends. God gives forgiveness. God gives mercy. How many ways has God given grace to you in your life? He's opened up doors to you. He's created opportunities for you. He's given you friends and encouragement when you needed it. And he's also given you challenges and things. You're like, well, I didn't want this grace, God. And you're like, but God's doing something greater than just fulfilling our own desires. And I think overall, how, how we pay attention to grace is we think about waiting on God consistently. We don't think about our desires as much as we think about how do I wait on God? How, how do I do that? How can, in the midst of my desires, as I'm seeking to balance them, how do I step back and say, God, here are my desires. How can I wait on you with these? If you can do that, just one final illustration I, I, I saw recently. So, so you have a bunch of notes, right? Like, you can play a D, a G, something like that. But it's the exact same notes, and you can play. What's the difference? It's the rhythm, right? One pauses and waits. And if you can pause and wait on God, there's a rhythm to life that God will place in your life. He's creating a song specifically for you with your life. And if you can wait on God and notice his grace and, 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 and pay attention to that and say, I want to line up my life with his grace. I want my heart to love his grace. I want my eyes to see his grace. I want my feet to, to pursue his grace. And I want my mouth to speak his grace. If you can line that up, oh, what joy, what security, what blessing, what power. And in some ways, the whole point of the path of wisdom is, is can you pursue integrity long enough to get to wisdom? So in the rhythm of God's grace, will you do that? You may not run a half marathon. I'd recommend it, actually. It's kind of fun. But at whatever your race is, walk with God. Notice his grace. Stay in rhythm with him. Will you do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you.
We thank you for this reminder of the fact that you keep your word. Your heart, your eyes, your mouth, your feet, they're all aligned to loving us and teaching us about you. And Lord, help us to have integrity as well. To line up our eyes, our heart, our mouth, our feet. To pursue your grace. To see your love. And to share that with those around us. We thank you in your son's name. Amen.